1: plushcare.com slash weight loss
0: so now we are at a point where we were able to look at whatever footage they had of the fight and the court decided that this was not an attack this was a mutually consented fight and we are dropping both complaints you're not going to send me to jail because you're embarrassed because you got dragged when you asked to get dragged (laughs) Hey, everyone, welcome to another episode of Everyone's Business But Mine with me, Cara Berry. With the exception of the Bachelorette recap that is coming on after this, this is like an all Bravo episode. I'm excited. I don't often get so heavy with the Bravo stuff all at once in these main episodes, but I'm hype. I'm hype to talk about it. You guys, things might be taking a turn. We might be getting out of this like mercury retrograde of a year. Why are so many things happening with over at the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills? How did we get so lucky? <laughs> is that fucked up to say? Lucky's not the right word. Because all of this is a hot, hot mess. So let's talk about it. First things first, I think it's fair that we talk about uh kyle kathy hilton and dorit all testing positive for covid19 now apparently this is something that the production would have been shut down regardless because one of the crew members also has it but to have three two main cast members and one very promising friend of and kathy hilton all three of them getting it what a moment What a moment in time. Now, I just want to be clear. I take COVID very seriously. I don't want anybody to think that I'm making jokes because I think that this is not as serious. Y'all know how I feel. Everybody wear a mask. Everybody do what you gotta do to help yourselves and the community. Okay? We all need to... We're all in this together. High school, Musical. With that being said, because it's been reported that they all have mild cases they're on the end of the uh, COVID rope that they're feeling better they're getting back to it I just want to propose a question to you guys if a wizard came down to wherever you are and they said I have two options for you first one is that you get COVID. A mild case. You're going to be fine. You're just going to have to go through it. Or you have to be subject to eating a Thanksgiving meal provided to you by one Teddy Joe Mellencamp And you don't know what it's going to be. But you do know that if you get COVID. It will be mild. And you will feel better. Which one would you pick? Because we find out. That Kyle. Over Thanksgiving holidays. Did not say that she had COVID. However she did say. I'm feeling under the weather. Thank you to at Teddy. For um, giving my family. A Thanksgiving meal. I... I'm not going to say my answer, but I think, you know, if I'm asking the question, you can assume, (laughs) which, what is in Teddy's Thanksgiving meal? What do you think? My first guess is uh, cauliflower rice, no butter, a very light sprinkling of salt Maybe you might see a pepper flake every three bites or so. Not a garlic. Not a garlic powder. Just some riced cauliflower. Poached turkey. (laughs) Cottage cheese with a single mango slice for dessert. There is no possible way that Teddy can hook up a Thanksgiving in a way. The only way she would be able to make that happen, it it would have to be in such a way that where it felt like punishment rather than a reward. Thanksgiving. I think we all understand is the day diets be damned, have all the carbs you want, have two starches. If you want, have a lot of bread, have a, you know, a protein that's, you know, In its natural juices and also some sort of gravy. Mac and cheese. Go for it. Candy dams. Go for it. Cranberry. Any way you like it. In the can or homemade. It's your world. It's not the day to skimp and I'm just concerned that like it would just not be worth it. To have to go through a meal like that. There's no way Teddy snaps on Thanksgiving meals. No way. There's no fucking way. It would not be worth it to me. It wouldn't be worth having to go through that. Anyway, let's talk about the big news coming from one. Erica Jane, Tom Girardi. Wow. So a month ago, I did not talk about this on the show, but I did talk about it on Instagram. You can follow me at everyone's business but mine month ago it was reported that erica filed for divorce an interesting thing about me is that when this happened i don't know if this is like an innocent thing or like a naive thing on my part my instincts were not were that like we're at the end of the road this relationship was not a relationship despite it being them being married for 21 years As soon as you tell me they're getting divorced, I'm like, yeah, of course. Yeah, nothing surprising about that at all. Don't know what to tell you. (laughs) The rumblings that were happening immediately were something that I really didn't pay attention to, which is this seems like strategery. This seems like an intentional situation um, that is possibly motivated in finances on the part of Erica and... Tom, that perhaps they're choosing to get a divorce, to hide some assets, to move some things around, and this is more of a power play than a relationship breaking out because it has reached the end of the road for them. Did not pay attention to it. Honestly, wish I had because boom, December 2nd, some shit goes down. There's a complaint filed in an Illinois federal court last Wednesday Erica and Tom individually are both being sued by a law firm called Edelson Edelson PC on behalf of y'all there are several families that are alleging they were the victims of a plane crash that happened in 2018 I believe in Jakarta, Indonesia They are saying that Tom and Erica have both embezzled, embezzled, embezzled settlement funds meant to help the family of the victims of Lion Air Flight 610. It goes on to say, Tom has resorted to embezzling the proceeds of settlements that should have been directed to his clients, including... As a basis for this complaint, the widows and orphans who lost loved ones in the tragic crash of Lion Air Flight 610. He defended these victims in the case. They received a settlement money. They're saying that they never got this money. And instead, it went to funding the lavish lifestyle of both he and his wife, Juan Erica Girardi. The lawyer, um, the Tom's Law Firm, is also part of this lawsuit. The lawsuit continues to allege that Tom and his law firm are basically done. They're on the verge of financial collapse. They're locked into a downward spiral of mounting debts and dwindling funds. They're saying the house of cards that this 80-something-year-old man has built is now coming to a crash. All the rats are leaving the ship and... Erica is one of those mice in, you know, a Savage X Fenty panty bra set and, you know, some Gucci. She's leaving in order to protect the dwindling assets that they have left. This is a big claim, you guys. This is a huge thing to allege of somebody. And to be so specific, and now that there are all the people, the victims of this crash that are involved that can say it like this to me sounds like an ironclad situation that they're not going to be able to weasel their way out of i'm in i'm into this it says that the heart of this deception is defendant Girardi and his need to fund outrageous lifestyles for himself and his soon-to-be ex-wife erica jane claiming that protecting their finances is the reason for the recent divorce and that this incident is not the first attempt by Tom to hide and divert assets. While Erica publicly filed for divorce this month on information and belief that, quote, divorce is a simply a sham attempt to fraudulently protect Tom and Erica's money from those who seek to collect debts owed by Tom and his law firm. The lawsuit also discusses that Tom and Erica's, quote, lavish lifestyle um, even pointing to the fact that the reality star has previously reported that it took her about forty thousand dollars a month to maintain her look and the Erica Jane brand, and they also cite her song, expensive. What if Erica Jane goes to jail, you guys? <laughs> what if she goes to jail? Clankity clank. Clink, clink. Jailhouse Rock. No wonder she was, I mean, Roxy Hart. She was maybe onto something. The name on everybody's lips is going to be Erica. I, y'all... Are, is Erica gonna? Do you guys think that Erica and Tom are gonna get out of this? Do you think that there are going to be consequences and repercussions for this action? I'm feeling a little bit like I don't know how you file a lawsuit so damning like this without having some pretty big receipts. Mm-mm-mm. What do you guys think? This is wild. This is wild. Because they couldn't have been this stupid, right? It's one thing if we're talking about like a Teresa Judice situation and a Juicy Joe situation where clearly we know those two people were in over their heads and that there was no way they were. They were, they, I, I feel very strongly that Juicy Joe, I feel strongly that neither of them knew exactly what they were doing. I think Juicy Joe had a, he knew he was doing something wrong. He did not ever think that he was going to get in trouble for it. But I also think he probably knew people that had been for years doing the same thing that he got caught for and they got away with it. I think because he knows people that got away with it, he just felt like titanium, bulletproof. Everything was going to be fine. They were going to get away with it. They were just going to embezzle like half a million dollars and everything was going to be okay. I think that Teresa had truly no idea what she was signing. I think that there may have been a little, there had to have been something in her that knew that this probably wasn't right, but she trusted her man and signed those papers how do you say that a man who has been working in law and has been a very successful lawyer for several decades, you can't say the same thing about Tom that you can say about Joe. Tom had to know because he has made a point of learning the law (laughs) that what he did was not right. I don't know how you would do that. So obviously, to a group of people, and thought that you would get away with it. I'm confused about that. Let's talk about something a little bit brighter. The other day, I get a DM sent to me and said, Oh. Maybe I should mosey over to one at Mr. Jax Taylor. And we see a series of pictures that he has posted of himself and it progresses on to him with Brittany. The spin-off Brittany and Jax take Kentucky and pictures of their wedding and now Brittany's pregnant body being kissed by that demon of a husband that she's chosen to be in a relationship with so the caption says the last eight years on vanderpump rules have been some of the most challenging rewarding and fulfilling years of my life although this is difficult to share britney and i will not be returning for another season of vanderpump rules we are excited to take this time to focus on our growing family and share with you our new endeavors at Bravo TV, at Evolution Media USA, and our Vanderpump castmates will always remain close to our hearts. Thank you to all the fans we have shared through our journey with us and supported us through everything. We love you. Stay tuned. We can't wait to share what we have planned. Have a great weekend. Pink and white heart emoji. Interesting. For all of you that have watched Vanderpump Rules, We have seen Jax Taylor be one of the greatest characters of all time with a large reason for that being a fact owed to the fact that Jason Couchy does not evolve. We have seen him on the show for eight years. We were introduced to Jax as a lowlife scamming, lying, creeping around, cheating. I will do whatever makes me feel good and damn the consequences. I'm not even a um you know, I'll apologize later kind of guy. I'm and I'm going to just take this wrecking ball through everybody in my orbit's life. Whatever happens from that happens from it, and you're just going to have to deal with it. That is why Jax is a great character. So, there's been no emotional <laughs> um, evolution to him. There's been no psycho- certainly no psychological growth happening. Um, so, I'm seeing this caption, and I'm thinking you're trying to trick us into thinking that this is a decision that you came to on your own for the sake of your family, your wife, your new baby, that you have just like outgrown being on the show and that this is a decision that you made. What I find interesting is that Kate Arthur she is a writer for Variety Magazine. She is somebody who's really good over the years has had a lot of scoops and inside information about the cast in the show. I thought it was very interesting. That she wrote. She tweeted out an article. Saying Jax had been fired. And that Brittany decided to. Follow suit. She could have been on the show. Leading us to believe that she could have. Chosen to stay on the show. And she decided not to. For her husband. Okay. What she tweeted after she tweeted the article was, I have been, I've had this article written since June. Now we all know around June is when uh, Kristen and Saucy got fired as well as the other two little hot dogs that look the same, Brett and Max. Now my question is, did she have that article written in a way that like, a lot of media outlets when a beloved celebrity actor, whatever gets to a certain age, you kind of pre-write an obituary for them because we all know what's going to happen, you know, and let's just write it. That way we can break the news when it happens. Or did she know Then that Jax had been fired and had to wait on that article because of what is, was happening behind the scenes that they didn't want to fire because after Kristen and Saucy got fired there, y'all all know there was hella news, hella, um, you know, a lot of people talking about how Jax also needs to be fired. He wasn't as blatantly racist in his desire to get Faith in trouble, as Kristen and Saucy were, but he was very much involved in the behind-the-scenes of trying to get her off the show and trying to get her in trouble for, you know, allegedly stealing from people and whatever. So, what was it? October, I think, Jax had said on an Instagram Live, like, oh, um, You know, I think we're going to start filming soon. Vanderpump will be back. That turned out to not be true. I just wonder, like, if Kate had an inside information that knew we are going to fire Jax. We're just not going to do it at the same time as Kristen's and Stassi. I don't think there's a chance in hell that Jax chose to leave the show. And I will never believe that he did that for the mature reason of, like, I've evolved past this because now I'm a... Family man, a husband, and soon-to-be father. I don't think there's a chance in hell that he left. He has said several things in the comments that lead me to believe that he doesn't really know exactly what he's going to do. Number one. What I know to be true in my heart. I'm I'm pulling an Oprah Winfrey here. What I know to be true (laughs) Is that you can always rely on the fact that somebody who says, you will see me soon, stay tuned, a stay tuned ass bitch, you will never hear from again. (laughs) When have you ever heard a middling reality show star say, stay tuned, and we've genuinely seen something good come out of them? Exactly. Exactly exactly, he keeps saying stay tuned, there have been so many delusional people, I mean I don't know why I find this so shocking that everybody has a stand it's just like not in my headspace to think that Jax Taylor has like actual fans some random lady said will you please keep us up to date on your family on social media yeah girl of course he (laughs) just because he left the show doesn't mean he's leaving all of social media I can't even believe that you want to know this but whatever so then Alex Minaj who is Kristen's boyfriend the guy who kind of looks like Jonah Hill he commented something along the lines of like oh I'm so happy for you bro you're leaving the hypocrites over at Bravo what? I thought that was fucking whack and I wish people had I think he may have deleted the tweet since then but Jack responded and was like laughing cry emoji so that tells us all we need to know about how Kristen feels what is she in, inferring What is? why is she under the impression that people over at Bravo are hypocrites. Is this because of, like, other racist things that have been uh, happening with other stars of shows and they're not being fired? Let me just tell you guys, like, if you get fired for saying something problematic or racist or whatever, something that is isn't a legitimate moral quandary, you don't have the right to say, to call people hypocrites. Like you don't have the right to complain that you were fired and that other people weren't fired. And so those people who fired you are hypocrites. How about you just shut the fuck up? Because nothing you say can look good. Get out of here. Kristen Doty commented herself and said, I'm so happy. I love you guys. Um, Jax had also been alluding to the fact that he is invested and involved in the cannabis industry and that's going really well. So he's focusing on that. He's given several hints in the comments to, we're not leaving television. We have more things on the pipeline. We're going to, you guys are going to see us on TV, just not on Vanderpump. Somebody asked them like, Oh, are you guys going to have a spinoff? Um, you know, chronicling your time being expectant parents and he's like, oh, like being very coy, like, yeah, you might see something like that, blah blah blah. Okay, this <laughs> No. There was there have been rumors that Vanderpump has been cancelled. There have been rumors that perhaps there are trying to do like a new parent Vanderpump spinoff and maybe that'll go on E, I think I heard. I don't know. I don't really believe that anything is going to come of this. I hope it doesn't. I think they're still um, airing Marriage Boot Camp. So we'll probably see you guys on that in the next 18 months. But other than that, I don't think that there is this great second coming of Jax Taylor. I think from a production standpoint, do they really think that they're going... I mean, we didn't even have success with Jax and Brittany take Kentucky. So why would they give these people another show? Why would they think that what is I okay even if there are stands of Jax Taylor I just don't believe for one second that there is a large enough audience of people who think that he has grown into a better man and like want to watch this like Jackson and Brittany take over her uterus I don't think that's true I don't think that's true but we'll see we'll see you guys all right rest of the episode what you're gonna hear next is a clip of me recapping the latest last week's episode of the bachelorette and then a recap of the season finale the season finale of real housewives of potomac i hope you guys enjoy let's talk about it
1: is that a war gift um you know i won't call it a war gift it's more of a, a gentlemanly gift i think it's for you. I, I uh, I'd like to you know explain it to you. Perhaps maybe I open and go go through it. What do you prefer? You wanna open it? It is for you. That is that is a proper way to give a gift. Uh, I mean no, no If you wanna explain it, that's fine. All right all right. Yeah. Um. Well, you know. First and foremost, I'll start with you know the friendship gift. Um. You know this is a red bandana. One of our first conversations was talking about the ranch and your, you know, upbringing in Oklahoma, you know, in my former cowboy days, and it's red, because I hope there's no bad blood for us, you know, going forward. Simple, small one. Um, I was wearing your next present the other evening. Since then, it has been washed. Mustached socks. I hope it is a good memory. The only place that you should wear a mustache Is on your feet.
0: All right, y'all, we're back. Let's talk about The Bachelorette. So we start off with Tasia inviting some grown adult named Jojo over for individual plates of mango and bacon. I don't know. They're trying to discuss whether or not she should make the right decision about, you know, how to go about making a right decision about marrying somebody. One of these dudes, especially because she's been married before. I don't know why they're making you guys. I kind of miss Claire. <laughs> takes just a little too like normal, but like just to be clear, I mean normal in the like bachelor bachelorette sense. Like I just miss the chaotic, anxious energy of Claire. I miss the energy of her, lying her way through saying that she and Dale had never met or spoken or communicated with one another before. I miss her trying so very hard to make that relationship seem like it was a good choice for her, even though we all know it's probably going to go down in flames. Tasha's like like I like her question mark <laughs> like she's fine. I think she's perfectly unoffensive and that's why I find the rest of this to be a little bit boring. But let me go on. So what my point was is that like they keep trying to like have stakes for her and like you being divorced before is not like a stake. There's nothing like that doesn't do anything for me. It's not like, oh my God, I hope she really can make a decision because she's had a failed relationship before. Like, that's not, that doesn't do anything for me. But anyway, Mr. Chris comes over, he visits the bro house and he tells them like, you guys are going to have some upcoming dates, but I have to leave to take my son to, to move him into college. So here comes Jojo She's going to take over. We don't see Jojo until the very end of the episode. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense that they make this big. Like, Jojo's back. Jojo's back, you guys. I'm sure Jojo has, like, a long dramatic history. But honestly, I can tell by her blowout that, like, I could get all the highlights from one of you or several of you, and I would not care at all. You know? Don't care. Ben's... What I do care about is that Ben's the army vet. His neck seems to have grown since the last episode to the point where I'm like, can we get like a check on his lymph nodes? Like, I don't really remember his neck being so prominent and thick. It concerned me. Anyway, um, that's besides the point because Zach... C is the one who ended up getting the one-on-one date so it's like two one-on-one dates and one big group date so her date was zach goes first and what the fuck was that their date is to shoot mock wedding photos with some guy who wears like blue eyeliner and a diaper his name was francesco They're both taking this, like, either way too seriously or not seriously enough. Like, I can't really make heads or tails of what's happening, but I know that I personally don't like it. They gave poor Zach, for the first photo shoot, a, like, white blazer jacket, suit jacket, and listen, one of the things that I'm very particular about You know, as we grow older, we come to learn that like you do need to spend money on certain things, whether it be, it could be anything. I'm not going to make examples. One of the things that I'm very particular about is men getting their suits tailored. Like that is a non-negotiable there. I have never seen a suit that looks off the rack like perfectly well fitted to that specific man's body you have to get them tailored it's an investment you're going to wear them again just spend the extra like 20 or 50 however much it costs to tailor it to your body it does a world of difference men look so much better when their suits are tailored that's just a little tip tip for me to you guys just spend the extra money It's an investment piece, okay? And this is coming from somebody who wears head-to-toe Old Navy pretty much every day of my life. If I were to wear a suit, I would get it tailored. It just makes a world of difference. Anyway, the point is that they gave Zach this poor suit jacket that looked like it was, like it fit on the shoulders, but at the top it just seemed like more for somebody who was shaped like a butternut squash. And Zach is like a really slender man. He's not really, you know, like he cinches at the waist, so it just didn't look quite right for him. They Tasha's like freaking the fuck out because again, I've put a wedding dress on before, and like there's nothing else. She's she's nervous because she's worn a wedding dress before because she's been married before. You guys remember? Who gives a shit? Who cares? like, I don't know what the stakes are here. She's really in this, like, pop-up dressing room that they put on the La Quinta property. Probably where people would normally be playing, like, bags, cornhole. And she's, like, tripping that she has to put another wedding dress on. Anyway, um, the man in the diaper... Makes him do the worst possible things for this photo shoot. Like at one point, Zach was dressed like a Hershey's Kiss and Tasia was in this like pink Cinderella Disney princess type gown and they were on a trampoline. Who does that? Who does that? I don't know. Um, So then they go to dinner later. Zach lets it all hang out about finding out. You guys, I slipped in and out. I slipped in and out. I'm I'm going to say, like, I wasn't fully paying attention. But from what I understand, he had a tumor. And that led him down, like, a dark path of just being, like, fuck everything. I'm going to, like, pop a bunch of molly and drink a lot. And he, like, turned into Rue from Euphoria or something. And his wife, he's also been married, you guys. Dun, dun, dun. Can you imagine? Um... So he turned into Rue from Euphoria. His wife of a year left him. He did all of the things, y'all. All of the things. <laughs> he tried to steal a check from his dad, but apparently he was so fucking zooted and pathetic that the bank teller called his dad and was like, your son's here trying to steal your money. Come pick up your boy. He went to, ended up going to rehab for four months. Um I think this was not the first time he went to rehab, but now he's like on the board of this rehab that he went to. He's an addiction specialist. Okay. That's quite a journey, my guy. Quite a journey for a guy who looks like like he would play acoustic guitar at, at like a Methodist church, you know. I didn't see that coming. And grateful grateful for the fact that he has come out on the other side and that he seems pretty stable and great. Then production makes him go into this, like, monologue about how, like, I'm a miracle, and if I'm a miracle, then who's to tell me that I can't join a dating show during a national pandemic? (laughs) Nobody? I guess nobody can tell you that because you're on one. Um, then they, Tasha takes him over to a lever. They pull the lever and wouldn't you know, they built a Ferris wheel, a mini Ferris wheel on the property of the La Quinta. N- now, I can't imagine that he didn't see it because the Ferris wheel was about 50 feet away from where they were. I don't think the lights really made the d- difference. I don't think it really like, it wasn't giving me like shocking surprise, but Okay. Okay. It was one of those Ferris wheels that you get like... I grew up in like a very suburban town. And they would have these like (laughs) carnivals whatever. in like whatever um, you know, parking lot had you know, seen better days from a shopping center that like completely failed after the economy crashed in like 2006 or whatever. And you know, it's like one of those mini ones. You could easily throw a rock at the top. I don't know why you would do that, but you could. I'm I'm digressing. Um, let's move on. We're back in the bro den. Bennett and Noah, have, I don't want to talk about them. Bennett has decided, or maybe production has... Uh, Talked him into creating this rivalry between he and Noah, and he keeps calling him Young Noah, and he keeps talking about how young Noah is, and he keeps talking about how immature he is, and you're never gonna be with Tasia. And it's now turned into like, I don't even think that Bennett really gives a fuck about Tasia. I don't think he likes her, I don't think he cares about her. I think who he cares about is having screen time and creating some sort of rivalry. What he could possibly get out of this? I don't know. Um, you know, m- maybe like 5,000 more Instagram followers is really like I don't know what you're hoping for here, like a collaboration with Mr. Porter. Something like maybe like a Samsonite watch company like what's that watch company from Detroit that's like hipster? Y'all know what I mean. You've seen it on Instagram. Spin- Spinola, whatever it's called. Shinola. Sh- a Shinola watch deal. Is that what you want? Um, So he's now created this, like, rivalry. It's like fetch. It's not really happening for me. I don't really want to talk about it. So I'm going to talk about it the least amount of possible. So let's go on to this group date where we're forced to watch these guys Do figure drawings from some couple of naked people from Central Casting. Boring. Then they have to do a um, blindfolded uh, uh, clay making... (laughs) One of the dudes makes a dick. Okay. Um, Bennett is, you know, like I said, fully... Bullying Noah. Every opportunity he has to like talk shit about him, he's taking it. Even in front of Tasia, in front of all the bros. It's so boring and lame because it's not even, he's not a good villain. He's not a good reality show villain. Like, I could not care less. Couldn't care less. Then they have to do like a painting. Challenge in which they talk about their lives and all the guys were actually pretty vulnerable Except for that one the tiny one with all the teeth and he just made a frame and it was like My pictures not complete without you (laughs) Tasha Okay, and then one of the guys gets naked Ben gets naked personally. I appreciated that I Liked what I saw. I don't really know what he said something about being vulnerable Tasia gets so emotional that she has to run behind the curtain and cry. So that was something. Um, Then later, Ben actually keeps it real and talks about how he had an eating disorder, how he grew up kind of like a chubby fat kid. He realized that that wasn't really what girls were into. So he lost a bunch of weight, which spiraled him into an eating disorder for like all of his twenties. Um, that was wild. That was wild. Apparently he had never told anybody except for his sister. And now he's saying it on national television. Brave. Very brave. That then pivoted to them making out and her, um, Tasha giving him a rose. So, never, never too far off the scope <laughs> of, of what what work they're trying to do, are they? Um, then what happens? So then they're going to have like a cocktail thing. But Tasha wants to let them know, like, there's something going on between you and Bennett, Noah, and I'm going to get to the bottom of it. And Bennett says some other shit. Who gives a fuck? So then Easy and Taysha get the other one on one that's happening on this episode. They go on a ghost hunt. Production makes up this fake story about, like, a dead baby who, like, haunts the La Quinta. Okay. They go to the haunted spooky tennis court. Somebody plays crying noises on a a loudspeaker. Somebody in production, I want to know who in production had to write all of these fake notes that were probably, everything was in, like, Blair Witch Black and White. But, I wanted to know who had to make these notes along the way that were probably stained with like a, a Bigelow Earl Grey tea to make it look, you know, antique and spooky, scary. Oh, dead baby. Some lady named Carol, Carol Eugene or whatever the fuck. Oh, kill me, kill me. So then they go to dinner, Easy and Tasia Tasha tells... No, excuse me. Easy tells Tasia that he's falling in love with her. And honestly, I applaud him for that because she's wearing this, like, lime green dress. That She's a beautiful girl. It didn't really match her skin tone. I'm just gonna say that. Not everybody can wear lime green. Most people can't. So while she still looked way better than I would, I would have looked like a fucking... A tropical Skittle. It just wasn't really right for her. Um... What happens? Okay, so then Tayshia pulls, like, (laughs) the most savage move that I've seen her do. She takes the rose that was strategically placed at the dinner table and is like, thank you so much. I will not be giving you this rose because I'm not in love with you and I'm never going to be and I don't see it happening and you gotta go. The bros are all, like, really pro-Easy, by the way. They love him. They are very supportive of the fact that he got the one-on-one date this week. And then they're hanging out in the bro house. And somebody takes Easy's luggage. Because when, I guess, you have a one-on-one date, apparently you have to pack your luggage because this is, like, the determinant of if you're going to stay or if you're going to go. Something that I didn't realize fully Until this episode. I'm just going to say that. So, somebody from production takes his luggage and they're like, Oh my god, bro, I did not see this coming. Like, wow. Oh man. The next day the bros are like, Bro, did you see that coming, bro? Because I did not. And I'm like, well yeah, kind of. Like, you guys have to leave. Like, he had a 50-50 shot and I understand maybe that's what you're talking about, but you guys aren't living here. It's a process of elimination. That's the whole point of the show. So like, yeah, I did see that coming. <laughs> I really did. Um, so not to body shame, but like, there it just had like a very quick flash of Bennett getting out of the pool. And like, Is is there something living inside of his stomach? Like, I've never seen a body move like that. It's almost like his stomach was at, like, a 40-degree angle. I was confused about that. I've genuinely never seen a body move like that without, like, it being an alien situation And, like, something comes out of Sigourney Weaver's abs, you know? Anyway. Um, So at this point, I've, like I said, completely forgotten about JoJo. Because even though Mr. Chris made this big pronouncement about how she was going to take over while he was gone, we don't see her until there's, like, ten minutes left in the show. (laughs) Blake is fixing his hair when she walks in. And she's like... Is your hair okay? And he was like, oh, I don't know. Like, he's trying to be pithy and be like, I I don't know. I can't tell. Let me know. Does it look okay? And she's like, I don't know. (laughs) Could not care less. This woman could be, could not be less invested in the goings on of this show. She tells him, you guys have that cocktail party later. Y'all knew that. But I just came in to let you know that it's actually going to be a little bit postponed. It's still going to happen but it's going to happen later in the day because Tasia needs to talk to Noah and Bennett and I'm just giving y'all a heads up. It's not possible to keep both of you. So what's going on between the two of you? And then Bennett and Noah give this like whatever answer. And she's like, you know what? I don't know what's happening. I'm just here to get back on TV and to land like a FabFitFun subscription box. Like I got to go. Bye. So then we get the scene of Bennett and Noah They're waiting for Tasia. They make Bennett give Noah a gift because he's a gentleman and a Harvard grad. And he gives three gifts in this box. The first one being like a, a red bandana because he hopes it's red because he hopes there's no bad blood between them. And something about Bennett being a cowboy in a past life. I don't know. I, I don't care. And then he gives Noah some socks that he has already worn. He says that they've been washed, but I don't want your old socks, bro. And he says, because they have mustaches on them. And Noah had to shave his mustache because Tasha didn't like it. He's like, I'm giving you these socks with mustaches on them because uh, no man... The only place a man should have a mustache is on his socks. That's not a thing. That is not a thing. Tell that to Tom Selleck. Okay? Um. So, then he gives him a book about <laughs> emotional intelligence. And this was giving me, like, uh, Giselle, season one of Potomac, giving Karen that... Um, Hobby Lobby frame that she then put like a printed out list of like etiquette and manners. This was about emotional intelligence that had like four principles. And he was like, I just want you to know that I think that you're um, extremely deficient in three of the four principles. And I think that this is going to help you. And I'm not trying to belittle you. I'm trying to love you up. Okay. <laughs> Okay, Bennett. Fail, fail, fail. Noah's over it. I'm over it. They start going back and forth. Tasia walks in. They continue to go back and forth about like Noah's basically like, this man keeps picking on me and I don't know why. Bennett basically handed him the keys of the kingdom because Bennett's the one who keeps making this continue. Noah's like, I don't know what this man wants from me. I'm just trying to get to know you. He thinks, whatever. I don't really care. He's got me all pegged all wrong. I just want to move on. And then we're left with a cliffhanger. I think it's very obvious that like, maybe because it's a cliffhanger, maybe she's going to end up keeping Bennett in the end. I don't know. I guess we'll see. And that's the end of The Bachelorette for this week. (laughs) hello everyone let's talk about oh i'm so sad but i was so delighted to watch the real housewives of potomac finale i'm just so disappointed that we didn't have more time with these women i feel like we deserved at least four to five more episodes i would have even taken three i'm very very bummed out to have watched the finale but thank you to production, to Bravo. They gave us an extra long episode. We got about 15 more minutes. And I'm hearing that the reunion is going to be extremely explosive. I heard it even compared to the season 9 reunion of Real Housewives of Atlanta. Of course, that is one in which we find out about all the drama and all the Phaedra was... um, I've been spreading lies about candy and Portia. It's going to be allegedly on that level. And if that's the case, even if they give us 70% of that, I'm here for it. I'm very, very excited to see what is revealed. What is in the binder? What is in the binder? (laughs) What's in Monique's binder? I need to see every page. I want to see a full, detailed screenshot in which I can read every word. I want to see every single thing that's in that binder. Monique should sell that. If she wants to start with the book thing, talking about how to potty train your, you know, six-week-old, how to potty train a parrot, an African gray parrot named T'Challa, I need the book. I need this. I need a full (laughs) report. Should I talk briefly about Atlanta? Because I wasn't going to do a full recap. I love Atlanta. I'm sure I'll be talking about it throughout the season. I thought this was a very interesting way to uh, come out with a premiere episode. Obviously, it was, there were three pretty main storylines one about Kenya and her relationship with Mark. One about Cynthia and her relationship and her upcoming wedding to Mike. And then the biggest story being Portia and her um, turn into protesting and joining the movement in support of Brianna Taylor and her arrests and just detailing her experience over the summer. I want to say something that I hope people don't take the wrong way. I hope you guys are understanding what I'm saying when I say this. I think it is incredible. I thought the way they did the episode was great. I thought all the talk about the racial unrest and and all of that was important. So I don't want anybody to think otherwise. My question is, if we're moving in an era in which there's more diversity there's more inclusion we're having the tough conversations etc at what point do we talk about how for the most part these important conversations are only being had in predominantly black spaces or we're ushering in black people to discuss these things When the reality is, the people who need to be exposed to these conversations and who need to be, um, we need to see these conversations being had on the other side, we're not getting it for the most part on these shows. Now, for example, like I want to compare how they um, addressed the protests and the racial stuff on Southern Charm versus how they did it on Atlanta. Now, the latest episode of Southern Charm talks about, um, for the most part, it's about Catherine's ancestor, her great-grandfather, whoever, having a statue in a park that people wanted to take down because of its, his racist past. Basically, he said that his dying wish—he was a vice president twice—his dying wish was for slavery to not be abolished and to be able to continue— And I think there was something about the placement of that statue in the park and how it was like a. had something to do with, with slavery or like black people can't pass past this part of the neighborhood, something like that. Something that was really like disgusting. How they address it on the show is. And in conjunction with that, we have the drama that happened with, uh, Catherine reaching out to a black woman who had some opinions about Catherine's friend having this like Trump boat parade and Catherine showing her, sending her a monkey emoji and just saying horrific things. We barely got Catherine explaining from her side what happened. And for the most part, the conversations around her ancestor was not at all had by Catherine. We didn't see it on camera. Um, What we see is Leva, the newest and only woman of color that's been on the show in a full-time capacity, bringing her two black friends who we've never seen on the show, uh, the lady from Gwyn's who I believe is also a woman of color, the owner of Gwyn's, Catherine's um, employer, and Danny. (laughs) This, to me, was so clunky and weird and in some ways counterproductive when we don't have really any of the main cast members addressing this head-on. Why didn't they have Catherine on camera asking her how she felt about this situation? And they needed to talk to her more about her um, conversation with that woman on Instagram. Because it's brought up by another cast member that it was brought up by the lady from Gwyn's that um, Catherine at, at first said that she didn't know that the person she was talking to was black. And then she went back and it came like, if you look further in the conversation, Catherine was saying like, why are you making this a race thing? Blah, blah, blah. Intimating that she knew the person she was talking to was black. So completely lying about trying to, you know, trying to get out of the situation. They needed to ask her more about that. And instead, the majority of the responsibility has been taken on by Leva by these two black women that we've never seen on the show. They don't ask Craig about it. They don't ask Austin or Shep about it. They don't. uh, We get Madison on a phone call with, with uh, Catherine who's saying like, Oh, you know, you should really think about the type of person that you're talking to or who you're addressing. You know, when you communicate, just be like more thoughtful in your communication. And I just thought it was very like, limp it was very limp to me and so when we see this very important conversation and we're putting all this responsibility on Portia I understand because there's a lot of footage that we saw of Portia and she's really coming to her own that is a major storyline for Portia but it'll bring me to another example of like them having these conversations like black people vote the special. There was another special about the protesting that happened, but for the most part, these conversations were being had by the cast of married to medicine, Potomac, Atlanta. I think we saw Leah and there was somebody else who was white on that show, but they're also airing it after These majority black cast and majority black audience shows. So I guess it just one point is: at what point are we saying like you're doing the work, but you're only putting this really in the audience of people who already know? You know, like do we? Do I, as a black person, really need to have Portia talk about? the protesting yes and no it's important to have it on tv period but at one point are we just catering to these audiences that are already aware like it would be far more impactful if we saw these conversations being had on beverly hills if we saw these conversations coming out on another show if we're playing these like you know black cast members talking about racial injustice why are we not airing this after below deck why is it only being aired after atlanta or potomac or you know just i just think that there are more conversations that need to be had on the place of having these difficult conversations on television in a way that reaches everybody because at some point it's going to feel like okay You know, like, are we really moving the dial in the right direction when we're not making the steps toward educating all of our audience? And we're just showing these black people like, oh, you know, we had a special we put on, you know, Dr. Contessa. So what more do you want from us? You know, (laughs) you all know what I mean. I hope you understand what I mean. Let me start talking about Real Housewives of Atlanta. Or excuse me, Potomac. Should I? Let's do it, y'all. I have so many notes about this episode. I hope you guys bear with me. <laughs> I wrote a lot i I think i there are very few things that I skip over that we saw in the episode. So we found out at the beginning Ron, nope, Robin, and Juan are they typically host a holiday party every year. We're basically it looks like this was filmed almost exactly a year ago, so. Our closing event this season of Potomac is going to be Robin and Juan's holiday party slash unbeknownst to Robin, her engagement party, slash unbeknownst to everyone, um, Michael's mess. (laughs) Michael's time to shine, wasn't it? So we see Robin going to the venue doing the layout, working out all the details. Then we see Giselle in her talking head saying like, Oh, maybe I should call Juan and see what's going on with this proposal. Cause I don't really know the details yet. So she calls him on camera, gets him to talk about, you know, like he's looking forward to it. He's going to propose tonight. And as soon as Giselle asks, are you getting cold feet about the situation? They lose connection and the call drops. <laughs> how interesting the next scene we see Monique in therapy and she's kind of like discussing what's been going on Monique says she's feeling the pressure not just from the physical altercation and by the way I love it when people who started the fight call it a physical altercation (laughs) not like when I grabbed half of this bitch's bundles in her hair you know And tried to swing it around my head like a helicopter on some Petey Pablo shit. It was a physical altercation. Okay. (laughs) So. So Monique is stressed out from the lawsuits. And she says, you know, the counterclaim (laughs) turned her life upside down. (laughs) Monique, you're the one who counterclaimed. What do you mean? (laughs) You did it, girl. That was your choice. (laughs) So Monique says she feels like most of the group has kind of like isolated her. They've written her off. She feels very alone. And then we get into her history. And she says, you know, when I was growing up, I went, me and my sister went to a predominantly white school And the kids didn't want to play with us because we were black. And then later we moved to a different school that was more diverse. But because we talked, you know, quote unquote proper, all the black kids thought we were too white for them. So I'm always have been living in this space in which I'm fighting to belong. And I feel like I'm always in defense mode because of how bullied I was so her therapist says, you know, I think maybe you're defensive because, you know, you also don't really seem to let people in. And Monique's like, yeah, I agree with that. So then a producer asks Monique if she feels remorse about the situation with Candace. And she says, I'm remorseful about my actions, but I'm not sorry for defending myself. How do I feel about that? I... I mean, listen. <laughs> she Monique has made it very clear that she thinks that she did what she had to do, and because of that, she maybe doesn't feel the sort of remorse that people are going to want from her. And at this point, at some point, even if we don't disagree with if we don't agree with people. We have to understand that that's just where they are. They are where they are. They're not moving. Don't know what to tell you. So y'all can take or leave what she had to say. I think that's probably the most honest response that we're going to get out of Monique. The most political, the most, the, the, that's all the best that we can hope for out of Monique. And that's all I can say about that. So then we get Ashley. We get Ashley and Michael. They're giving us a performance worthy of, you know, like a introduction to improv final. Their performance is, of course, given to us, you know, yelled out from the audience. Hey, you guys, can you guys play a happy family? (laughs) So we're getting them to do this back and forth because it, Dean is now five months old and now we're doing that thing that we all get the the little, um, you know, like, I don't know, like fucking painted on pieces of fabric that everybody gets from Etsy now and it's got the one through 12 months and you just put like a little toy next to the month that the baby is and it's so cute and it, Oh my God, look at you on Instagram, right? So they're doing this photo shoot and I just like, why is Michael? Because the first, the first thing we hear Michael say is him telling Ashley to watch the baby's penis. Because it's big. And big dicks run in the family. Michael. Michael Darby. What is it like, Ashley, to have a husband that can't be normal for one second? What is it like to have found that your life now revolves around having a lifelong commitment and you've now become the mother of... To Michael Darby's child. I just need to know what that's like. I was, you know, I don't want to like, don't do some freaky Friday shit on me. I don't want to be in there, but to be a fly on the wall for about 10 minutes. I don't know if I'm like deluding myself and I don't know if I ever felt at any point, like, you know, there's a pot for every lid a lid for every pot and I have to understand that like there are some fucking weirdos out there but there's somebody's weirdo and that you guys get along and everything's great for you I could never but I respect what you guys have going on right I don't know if I have deluded myself into thinking that at some point Michael and Ashley were a good fit for each other even if it wasn't for me but now the jig is up If I was asleep then, I am fully alert now. I don't get it. I don't get them. I don't understand why I have to be subject to this horror show of a relationship. Ashley says at the end of uh, what she says at the end of every season and the beginning of every season, (laughs) which is that she and Michael are doing so much better. You know we really went through it, but now we're so much we're tighter than ever we're closer than ever, and if we can just be honest and upfront with one another, then we can have that big family. Has she not said this shit every year, multiple times a year, every season? How many times how many times <laughs> So then they sit down while Ashley starts milking herself. And I gotta say Ashley's double bottle breast pump has become an official Potomac friend of the first half. We had T'Challa T'Challa handed over the the baton over to this breast pump. And here we are anyway, Ashley's like, Oh, Michael, remember I told you about Karen's wake shift party? And Michael's like, I, what a wig shift party? I don't and so Ashley's like never mind the point is (laughs) I'm upset about what happened with Karen and Candace and Michael's like well Candace got to be a victim for another day good for her Ew. (laughs) what's worth my accent or his actions it's got to be his actions right So then Ashley says she thinks that Michael doesn't like Candace because she's been, quote, raking him through the coals the last few years. So there we have it, you guys. Ashley is lashing out because the only way, the only way she knows how, because she knows that she has no real power in this marriage with Michael. And so now she's got to act out towards everybody else who calls to the carpet Michael's actions. Now, if we want to bring up the past, and I think it's absolutely fair to do so. Candace does have a historical moment blip in her time in which she was being shady to Ashley regarding her marriage for the sake of being shady. This year, however, we saw her get this information over at the lake house about Michael having 15 minutes away from Ashley and what does he do? Ends up naked, mostly, in a hotel room with... Some lady. What did Candace do? Yes, she took it to to Giselle first. But for the most part, she handled it. Given the situation and given the environment, the best possible way that she could. She didn't have the conversation in front of all the women. She just had it with Karen because she needed backup. She told Ashley in a very chill way knowing that they weren't really you know they were kind of on shaky ground with one another you know I think it's always fair to bring up past behavior if it's consistent and relevant to the subject at hand in that moment but if we're just going to go into the very short past and talk about the latest thing she's done I think Candace deserves a little bit of credit for handling the situation much better than she would have in the past. Much better. So then Ashley changes the subject and she's like, oh, I think Juan's planning on proposing at this party. And Michael says, well, I know that's not true. And that Juan's not going to propose. Like, he's very confident this is not going to happen. Now, I think anybody could see, if you just had somebody who didn't even watch a show... Watch a clip of Juan and Michael. I think that anybody could see that Michael is clearly way more into Juan. And that Juan is clearly only nice to Michael because he doesn't want to deal with the consequences of being on Michael's bad side. You know? Ashley is like, why are you so confident that Juan's not going to propose? Like, I want to know what you know. And Michael starts playing coy, he's like, I've already said too much, like, you know, I I just don't want to get into it, that's his business, whatever. And so Ashley's like, no, for real, is there something that I need to know? Is there something that Robin needs to know? Because you need to say something. And Michael's like, well, I just don't want to get into Juan's business. Okay. That is a very strange thing. I mean... (sighs) No, I I was going to be like, kind of play devil, devil's advocate and say that, oh, maybe, maybe Michael, because, you know, these reality stars say, you know, after a while, you completely forget the cameras are there. But it, it felt so intentional. It felt very, very intentional. And I don't even think Ashley anticipated what Michael was going to say. Usually I would say... Ashley Ashley, like when she's acting it's pretty obvious I don't think that she genuinely thought Michael was going to try and like cast doubt on this whole situation with Juan and Robin I think the hater's jumping out the hater in Michael is jumping out so our next scene we get Candace she goes with her mom to get their nails done Candace is clearly feeling some type of way about potentially getting set up by Karen to meet up with Monique at the wig shift party, but mostly because she feels like Karen, when called to the carpet, Karen took no responsibility for the issue and then bounced. So she says what I figured is that she kind of looks to and respects Karen as much as she does her mother. I completely see that, even though we saw in the very beginning at her Denim and Diamonds party where uh, Candace does a little speech and is like, oh, my mom, and my favorite person in the world, Karen, and somebody, I think, either Giselle or Robin, ask, like, when did that happen? I think it's probably fair to say that they had a a relationship off camera that Candace clearly thought was very close. She thought they were very close. And so... I think she I think she did her best to try and be fair to Karen and maybe give her more well, not maybe. she definitely gave Karen, on the one hand more grace than she would the average person for Karen's um, decision to remain neutral when it came to Monique. And Candace, because we know if this were anybody else, Candace would have been told off that person. But the fact that she clearly feels a closeness to Karen speaks to how patient we've seen. Even though she has been a brat, we have to take into you know consideration that Candace just is kind of a brat in general. (laughs) So we we you know you can only go so far with her. So. Apparently, after this whole altercation, it has sort of reframed and shifted Candace's relationship with her mom. Her mom, Dorothy, has actually been super supportive and really kind. So while they're getting their nails done, Candace is talking about, you know, now that Chris and I really want to have kids, I want to find a house that I love, not just something I like, because I'm going to be bringing kids into the situation. And Dorothy's like, oh, okay, well... I think I'm excited about you guys moving in this direction and maybe I should just move in after you guys have kids. And Candace is like, maybe you shouldn't. (laughs) And Dorothy's like, well, I heard that that's the new trend is that these people are retiring and and moving in with their kids now. She's like, well, you've got two other kids. So hooray for you. (laughs) You've got options, but I am not one of them. Okay. So then we see <clears throat> Karen, she's packing up. She's going to be headed to the Home Shopping Network, their whole campus, to do a segment in which she sells La Dom on camera. Ray is being very supportive. He wants to go, but he can't because the end of the year is very busy for him. Be in the Blackwell Gates. Karen says that her relationship with Ray has really. Um, headed in a good direction and that he's being really supportive of her and her business and you know he's really treating her more like a partner she is disappointed so if all these women if um Robin, Candace and if Candace is upset that we know Wendy's also upset two feet behind her they're all upset with her because of what happened at the wig shift party Karen is now upset at them because of what happened at the wick shift party. <laughs> she is mostly upset with Robin because they had this back and forth in which uh, Robin said, you know, you need to be careful, and, and Karen comes back and is like, Well, maybe maybe you need to be watching what Juan does without you knowing. Whew. So she's still upset with these women. And her plan of action to prove that she did not try to get Monique and Candace together, she sends everybody a group text, screenshots that she sent to Monique that said, come at this time, and Candace, she tells to come. I think she said, Monique, you show up at 4.30. Send a text to Candace that said, Candace, you show up at 6.30. So this is her getting her out of the situation, right? So... <laughs> then we get <laughs> just a, a short little clip of her at the HSN and <laughs> she's like you know what I, I put La Dame on my um, wrists and I rub it together and I put you know like a little at the, at, at the nape of my neck and you know if you're going on a date you just do a little splash behind that kneecap I've been married for 23 years that's a little piece of advice from me to you thank you <laughs> so ladies, fellas they thems you're going on a date put a little lidon behind your kneecap okay and see what happens just watch the watch the magic unfold y'all this next scene was actually pretty poignant i think maybe the most vulnerable that we've seen robin and juan since (laughs) i'm not gonna laugh (laughs) that's not funny kara don't laugh this is the most vulnerable scene that we've seen with Robin and Juan since they had that medium come over and have them talk, you know, to the people that have left them behind and have moved on to the other side. Okay. They go to therapy, y'all. Robin says that she's had a very hard time getting Juan to go to therapy because he doesn't want anybody to tell him about himself. He's not trying to hear it. So this is her first time we assume they sit down with a the therapist and she's like, okay, I want you to talk to me about the first iteration of your romantic relationship. So Robin takes a wheel. She breaks it down. Says, you know, we met in 1996. Um, I was a senior in high school. He was a junior. We dated on and off. We dated all through college. Um, I met Juan a few months after his parents passed away. Um and my parents really took Juan in like a son and we had this like really close kind of intertwined relationship us as romantic partners and with the my mom and dad. So then she says that things basically fell apart when she started having the kids, the boys. Juan gets pretty defensive. Robin starts by saying, you know, like, I wasn't, that Juan was not hands-on with the kids. And he was like, well, I was with the second one. (laughs) Do you know his name, Juan? (laughs) Honey. And Robin's like, he just was never really hands-on, like, at any point. Like, maybe he was more present with the first one. Or with the second one and the first one. Maybe he was around more. But he was never like a hands-on parent. So then Juan gets defensive and he's like, let's not do that. Let's be honest. We're not, I'm not going to sit here and act as though our relationship was perfect when I started cheating on you. It was both of us that contributed to that. And Robin says, you know, I had two kids that were less than two years apart. I was tired. I was raising these kids basically on my own. I just didn't have the energy or the desire to really give a fuck what Juan was doing. I'm just trying to raise these kids, right? And Juan says basically their marriage didn't exist because he was not doing what he needed to do on his side of the street. And that him cheating was not a purely sexual thing where he was Trying to get out of these relationships was what he was not getting out of Robin, which was affection and romance, not sex. Then he says, you know, despite all of the things that we've been through, Robin has been with me when she was an NBA wife. She stuck by me when we went through our financial stuff and everything I do every day I go out there and try to make her and our boys Proud. And the therapist is like, well, maybe you should, you know, Robin, do you want to say that you are proud of him? And she gets a little bit emotional. And she's like, you know, I'm so proud of you. I'm so thrilled with the man that you've become. And they have like a real come to Jesus moment. It was beautiful. It was truly beautiful. So then we see everybody getting ready for Robin and Juan's holiday party. Chris and Candace are in the car. They're on their way. Candace is doing her um, voice exercises because we find out she is going to be <laughs> performing her remixed go-go version of I See You. And finally, finally, the full circle moment that we've all been waiting for. Candice, can you believe it? About to get in front of people and sing. Wow. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> so Candace is also going to be revealing something. Because she says, listen, if Karen's got receipts, then I've got them too. So Karen sent all that te- all those texts out to everybody in the group. And I'm going to confront her and let her know that she hit me up after she sent that text asking me to come earlier. So she's going to try and save herself. I'm going to tell the whole truth. We get to the venue. Giselle's doing shots. She's there with Cal. Obviously, they ask why Jamal isn't there. And she's like, listen, it's a Saturday night. He's got to be in the pulpit on Sunday. So, we'll catch you next time. He will definitely be there. Scouts on her. Ashley shows up and she's giving you full biracial Ariana Grande. She has a dark lip. She's a long ponytail. I thought it looked quite cute. I really did. Michael... Starts asking Giselle where Jamal is. And Giselle's like, I'm not going to have that man around you ever in life. (laughs) So maybe don't worry about where he is, Michael. Jamal is everywhere. You were not. How about that? Then they want to know. Ashley's like, did y'all get that text from Karen? And they're like, oh, yeah. So we get the text pop up on the screen. Karen says she she was trying to leave hsn the plane was having mechanical issues she doesn't know if she can make it on time but she'll let everybody know in the future she'll update them so robin thinks that karen is lying and that she's making up these mechanical issues because she doesn't want to face what happened at the wig shift party she's not trying to take responsibility about it and she's embarrassed That's an interesting theory, Robin. But unfortunately, at this point, we have to play our game, which is why... What is Giselle wearing? Why does she have a snorkeling tube around her neck? And also, why is this the best outfit that Giselle's worn all season? (laughs) How is this the best? This is the best Giselle can do. And I think we need to recognize that moment for exactly what it is. This sequined hot pant um, more fabric than there needs to be off the shoulder top this you know pretzel shaped sequined necklace this is the best Giselle can do that's the best she can do okay let's just take a moment for that let's take a moment for that we see Juan introduce Michael to Eddie because remember the only time we really have seen Eddie interact with the rest of the cast has been when they went to the lake house for Monique's birthday. Obviously, Michael was not there. I've never seen Michael look so excited to meet an attractive chocolate man since he met Juan. Just saying. Karen still hasn't shown up at this point, and Robin's like, whatever on Karen. She says, you know... I could be upset about this back and forth that we had. I could be upset about what Karen tried to say, tried to throw shade toward Juan, but I just think that Karen is deflecting from the things that are happening in her life. So I'm not even going to like press her on that issue. Ashley and Karen <clears throat> Sorry, Ashley and Giselle talk one on one with each other and Ashley tells Giselle about Michael being adamant about the fact earlier that Juan was not going to propose. And Giselle's like, what did he tell you? And Ashley's like, he didn't really say much more than that. And Giselle's like, okay, well I'm going to get him because he needs to either say everything that he knows or nothing at all. So she goes to get Michael and then Michael sits down and was like, you know, I just wanted to be clear that like me and Michael have a special relationship. And Giselle's like, Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So then Michael is like, you know, earlier I was talking to Juan and Juan was just like, oh, this is going to be a regular night. So he just assumed, Michael just assumed that there was no possible way that Juan would make any sort of move like that, like proposing to his wife, which is entirely his business and not Michael's. He thinks that the fact that Juan was being a little evasive is because, Because he wasn't going to do it. Not because, perhaps, Juan just isn't friends with you like that. And so, he just wasn't going to say anything. Because him deciding to enter into a relationship, again, with a woman, with anybody. (laughs) It's not your business, Michael. Y'all aren't friends. You guys aren't friends like that. Y'all are not friends, in which Juan Dixon is going to tell you that he's going to propose. And so, rather than it being less likely that Juan is going to propose because he didn't tell you, maybe we should restructure our thoughts into saying, maybe Juan didn't tell me that he's planning on proposing because we ain't friends like that. (laughs) How has that not crossed his mind? Maybe it does, based on his actions. Maybe it does occur to him that maybe the best friendship that he thought that he had with Juan is not really the reality of the situation, and maybe that's why he was acting like that afterwards. Hmm. So, Giselle is all fucked up about this, and she's like, I'm gonna go over to Juan and figure out what the deal is, what the hell's going on, because... He's proposing. I know this to be true. So as soon as Giselle gets up, Michael turns to Ashley and is like, why did you think that bringing Giselle into the situation was going to, uh, persuade me to give more of an answer about what I told you earlier? Like leave her out of it. And why would you put me in this position? So basically he gets up and Ashley says, would you tell me the truth if I had a dick? We need to talk about that. That is something you can say when your husband doesn't have several um homosexual claims about him. If I grow a dick, would you be more open with me is not something that I would say in relation to Michael Darby. Without telling on yourself, Ashley, why do you feel like Michael would only be open with you if you had a dick? If We're gonna talk about it. Let's talk about it. I need answers. All right. So Sharice shows up with her blunt, bang, blunt, bang wig. That was something. <laughs> Robin introduces Candace before her performance. And we get what starts off as, Candace singing to the most quiet backing track in history. <laughs> so we're subjected to about 3 quarters of the I See You Go Go remix, a cappella until finally Jesus takes the wheel and turns that track up. Afterwards, Candace, excuse me, Robin takes the mic and is like, you know, standard housewives I want to thank everybody for coming. I love you. I love everybody in this room. Thank you. The bar, it's an open bar. It wasn't like that dusty-ass Devin and, and Diamond's party. Where's the cash bar? Even though I'm $90,000 in debt to the federal government, I still got money for y'all to get some free drinks. So please drink them. Thank you. Juan then takes the mic. And uh, he starts off by giving us your standard fuckboy I want my girl back speech. This is something if we want to look back in the annals of history we saw this happen what was it last season? Season 12 of Real Housewives of Atlanta in which the girls went up to Toronto to visit Tanya's hometown and one Dennis Hot Dog King whatever his last name is (laughs) Did a whole speech about how he did Porsche dirty. And you know what, baby? I'm going to give you back the same engagement ring that I gave you the first time. But I'm going to get down on one knee and you basically have to say yes to me. Because all these people <clears throat> think that I'm a good guy. Because I'm getting on a mic talking about how I used to be a bad guy. Will you marry me again? <laughs> So I'm not gonna, I'm gonna give Juan credit. I'm not gonna say it was as bad as Dennis's speech. But it still had a lot of the key similarities going on. Step one. You talk about how strong your woman's been. You talk about what a great person, a solid person she's been. And we're supposed to think that's sweet when the reality is... That this woman had to be strong because you treated her terribly and she was forced to go into survival mode. Okay? That's step one. So, Juan. Oh, Robin, you're such a strong woman. We've been through all these ups and downs. Most of those ups and downs being, you know, part two. Talking about ups and downs. Knowing damn well that those ups and downs were you hitting it from the back. Some strange series of women other than your wife those are the ups and downs that we're talking about right and then he says you know I want to do something real quick that's step three <laughs> was like you alluding to the fact you don't expressly go out and say like will you marry me I think he may have done it very briefly but like I just want to do something real quick and not like I want to ask for your hand in marriage because I love you so much and you're my soulmate and my partner in this life, <laughs> I want to do something real quick. Y'all, why was Wendy screaming like she was getting proposed to? Wendy was going off like she made it to The Price is Right and she just won a brand new furniture set. Like, Wendy, you just got here. You you and your Chanel <laughs> hat looking like Bonnie from Bonnie and Clyde in this white dress. Girl, Robin, it's, uh, Giselle had to push Wendy back and tell her to calm down. <laughs> Wendy wants to be in the camera so bad. God help her. Uh, Wendy, we didn't need all this. We did not need all that. <clears throat> then we go back to one and his fuckboy reproposal line of you know saying I, I used to be a bad boy that's true and then I made mistakes because I was young that's step 4 y'all I used to be a bad guy but oh, I, you know I'm a better man now uh, I was so young I was such baby <clears throat> please god don't ever put me in this position where I have to have some sort of. I don't want a public proposal. And I sure as hell. Don't want a public reproposal. <laughs> I don't want any microphones. I don't want you talking about. The history of you being a horrific partner to me. But now you've decided. That you want to act right. And will I marry you again. Please Jesus. Don't. Don't. I am begging you not to put me in that position (laughs) because I'll do it. (laughs) That's the sad part is I will go along with it and ruin my whole life. Knowing damn well that I shouldn't. So don't make me have to make a decision that we both know I'm going to regret. That's what I'm asking. (laughs) So at this point we have gotten eyes on where Michael is in terms of this party and he's at the bar. Now I think it's worth mentioning that initially when they got there... Michael was saying, like, oh, I'm going to be good tonight. I'm not going to drink too much. And as soon as he sees Juan take that mic, he's back at the bar. Back at the bar. So what happens after that? Oh, um, Giselle. No. So Michael goes up to Juan. No. Sorry. Sorry. Back it up. Michael goes up to a random person at the party and he was like, oh, did Robin say yes? What did you think all the screaming was for, Michael? This venue is not so big. You're on the outskirts of this whole crowd, but only, you know, the bar backed up to this, like, dance floor that they, they the pro- uh, proposal just happened at. It's not that big of a space. They were on microphones. You know she said yes. If you didn't explicitly hear it, you should tell by the fact that Wendy is screaming her wig off and that everybody's screaming, that, of course she said yes so why are you asking this random person oh did she say yes you know she did you need the confirmation because you're hurt so Giselle says I think Michael's just being a hater because he wants Juan to himself now listen it is very clear that Michael has a man crush on Juan who doesn't I have one for sure I didn't want to toe the line of like possibly being homophobic by being like Michael has a crush on Juan but based on Michael's actions after this proposal, it's hard not to have that conversation, y'all. I think it might be impossible, actually. You know, the, the only hard part about Michael and all of his actions is that you're kind of having to have these conversations about, like, Is Michael bi? Does he like men? Is he attracted to men? Because for the most part, everything that happens with him squeezing people and touching people without their permission is happening with other men. So, you know, at what point is it unfair to be like, what's happening here? He shouldn't be doing, he should be keeping his hands to himself regardless. But also because it's only happening with other guys. (laughs) What, what? what's happening here and is it anybody's business if he's bi or if he's attracted to men no it's only people's business because these are conversations and situations that keep happening over and over and it's fine if he wants if he is bi it's fine if he's attracted to men it's fine if he wants to hook up with men but i guess my question is like I mean, he says he's not, so we have to accept that. We have to accept it, and that's just that's just it. But also, based on your actions, you can't be surprised when people are curious about your personal life, you know? <laughs> like, every year, we have to deal with Michael doing things that ask questions that he doesn't want to answer or he's not answering honestly, or maybe he is answering honestly, but then it's like, you know, if, if I <laughs> keep putting my hand in a candy jar and then people want to ask me if I like that candy and I keep saying no, no, Well, it's like, why is your... Why do we always keep finding your hand in this candy jar? You know? (laughs) Like, you gotta stop the behavior if you don't want people to keep asking about it. Right? (laughs) So, then we see a red-faced Michael. He looks genuinely upset. He's kind of slurring at Juan about, like, Oh, Juan, I've stayed true to you. And Juan's like, you have you don't even need to say that because I feel it (laughs) and that to me I thought was very telling it's like I don't want you I don't want to have this conversation I know how you feel I know that you're upset but again we're not friends like that so, like, I'm saying I know how you feel. I know how you feel. I can feel it. Because I want you to stop saying that I'm true to you. I, you know, we have such a close bond. I'm so true to you. I need you to stop because it's making me uncomfortable. That's, if I was in Juan's shoes, that's how I would react. And I think that that's what we're seeing from Juan. So, Michael and Juan go over to the bar to do a shot And like I said earlier, Michael was talking about how he didn't want to drink too much, but clearly he's changed his tune. Ashley comes over and says, you know, that, um, I know where this is going. So I'm trying to check in with you by like saying, Hey, I've got my eyes on you. Hey, Michael, didn't we have that conversation about how you weren't really going to be drinking that much tonight? Just checking in to make sure everything's okay. A.K.A. just letting you know. I don't want you to drink. So please stop. Don't make me say this out loud. <laughs> Michael, of course, is not paying attention to Ashley. Why would he start now? He does a cheers to the newly betrothed Juan and so it adheres to the bachelor party, and then Michael morphs into a full-on Gollum recreation, giggling, and that, with that red face and it scrunched all up. And Juan's like, "Oh yeah, maybe we should just do uh, the bachelor part, bachelor excuse me, bachelor party, just me and you." And Michael's like, "Yeah, without no cameras, without without no, <laughs> I'm not gonna do it." <laughs> uh, it was weird. It was weird. Um, so, though, in the woman I'll take a shot to celebrate Robin's uh, new engagement, pour one out for the homie Karen for not being there at that point. Ashley, on the Watch What Happens Live that happened after this airing, said that she was actually more drunk. She had drank more at that party than she had in quite some time. Well, the interesting thing is that she said that in response to Andy asking about Michael's behavior. So rather than, like, asking why Michael was acting so fucking weird, she pivots to, oh, I had drunk so much at that party, like, as if somehow she was the one acting out of control and that she had too much and was being strange. That was an excellent attempt at a pivot Ashley I have to say it was expert level because it deflects from the original question and it puts the onus on you when you know Ashley that you weren't really acting out of control she was yelling at Michael because he deserved to be yelled at later but it was a complete misdirection So that she didn't have to answer the real question of why Michael was acting that way. So she put it on herself. That's tactical. That's real tactical. So Giselle cannot shake the fact that Karen has not shown up yet to this party. She's trying to bring uh, Sharice into the situation. And she's like, oh, Karen didn't show up because she couldn't handle what happened after the wig party and that she's batshit crazy. At that point, Karen and Ray walk in to the party. And somebody says, I think it's Chris Bassett, Candace's husband, says, oh, you missed a big proposal. Juan proposed. And Karen's like, yeah, I I wish that I could have been there. I wanted to see something like that. And you know what? (laughs) Robin doesn't get a lot. She doesn't get a lot. So this was a big moment for her. I don't think she was trying to be as shady as she's been all season two Giselle. This to me was a perfect level of Karen LaDom Huger shade. I live for Robin gets so little. (laughs) I really would have wanted to be here because she suffers so much. She really does. So all the ladies sit down and Karen explains what happened with her plane because Ashley asked, like, what happened with the delay? She explains what happens and Robin's like, oh, honestly, I kind of thought, Karen, that you were lying and that you weren't trying to show up here. And Karen's like, oh, but there would be no reason for me not to show up and to play that game because I've already I've already forgiven you guys for winning my party. <laughs> So Karen is like not even leaving room for chance that maybe uh, people think that she didn't show up for uh, uh, specific reasons, intentional reasons. She's like, oh, but you guys were the wrong ones and I've already forgiven you. So there would be no reason for me to not show up. (laughs) And then Ashley was like, well, why did you leave so abruptly? She's like, I planned a dinner. I planned to go out with my man that night. We're dating each other. And in fact, all of you guys owe me a date because instead of going to the beautiful dinner that I was going to, I ended up eating four chicken thighs from KFC and a biscuit and some coleslaw. So all y'all owe me a date because my time was ruined. (laughs) The goes on to say, Karen, I think that you wanted to facilitate a meetup between Candace and Monique. And Candace is like, yeah, speaking of which, you, I just want to make clear that you sent everybody this text, trying to clear your name about the times, but after you sent me that text, you called me and told me to show up at, like, five, and I actually was going to show up early, and so Karen's trying to say, like, yeah, I, you were going to come earlier. So I switched things around, and I told you to come later. And I, and Candace is like, well, what if I ended up changing my mind and just showing up at that earlier time that you told me? And just, Karen's like, oh, no, you wouldn't have done that because you were already late. So I was, I was confident that you weren't going to go. So Wendy says from the background, Karen, you're not Miss Cle- Cleo. You could not have predicted that. And Karen's like, listen, the bottom line is, You and Monique did not meet up, and that was done because of me. I made that happen. Candace says in a talking head, either Karen is lying or she's delusional, but either way, neither of those work for me.
1: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?
0: so then we cameras flash over to Juan and Michael excuse me Juan's not there it's Michael and Eddie and Michael says to Eddie you're the second best good looking guy after Juan but just so you know I'm not gay like I'm not gay just just so you know okay (laughs) like Was that necessary? Is this something that you bring up when you know how many rumors are on you? About you? I think it isn't, Michael. And I think you need to put that corona down. I think we're past the point of no return at this point. We clearly are. So we go back to Karen and the the rest of the women. And Karen says, you know... I'm still very neutral on this whole situation between Candace and Monique. Monique is trying really hard to be her best and to move on from the situation. And Candace is like, how can you even say that when she's on social media? That can't possibly be true. She's on social media defending her actions. She's lying. She's perpetuating the fact that she has no remorse for her for what she did. So how can you even say that Monique is trying to be better when everything else that she's proving says otherwise? saying is proving otherwise then she says you know candace says you and karen ashley and karen y'all are drinking the kool-aid about monique and i'm really tired of it and you guys know better and karen's like well i think the truth is going to come out and candace loses it and is like how can you even say that the truth is going going to come out you were there you were there when she took her, <laughs> her hand around my weave. You saw it. There is no other truth than what you saw when you were in that moment. And then Karen's like, well, what I saw was two, two women go left, two friends go left with each other. And Candace says, what you saw was a bitch attacking me because she has no self-control. So why are we even having this conversation? Michael overhears them. And he decides to go over to Chris Bassett, who's at the bar. And he goes, oh, mate, you need to control your wife. Like, how how can we be in this situation? Like, you need to control her. Now, it's a good thing that Chris is dressed like an old-timey theater usher. Because (laughs) he says, Michael, you should get the fuck out of my face. (laughs) And then he pushes him back. Just like a, a loose hand on i would say michael's like rib cage his right rib cage he's pushing him back in a way that like if michael wanted to get out of the way he could but he's just letting chris like limp-wristed push him back about 10 feet michael's got his hands up like he's an innocent party in the situation <laughs> he's like are you touching me are you touching me are you touching me you touched me. <laughs> well, 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 Michael. Let's pause on this situation. You're telling me somebody put their hand on you without your consent and without warning, and you don't like it. Interesting. Where could Michael have learned his lesson on that type of situation of non-consensual touch? Huh. Seems like there may have been a couple situations in past years that Michael would have learned that situation being on the other side of things. And not just now. When you're potentially could be getting your ass beat for saying something that you shouldn't be saying. Why is it so interesting how offended he gets over somebody touching him when he doesn't want to be touched? That is very interesting. In the words of Cardi B, how convenient is that? How convenient is fucking that? Wendy... Sees people are popping off she goes to get Eddie because Eddie's wearing all white and she doesn't want him playing with the boys when he's wearing an all white suit Ashley gets over to Michael and he Michael keeps yelling oh, that, the guy the fucking guy hit me he pushed me he pushed me that, the Chris guy whatever his name is like, you know he does like a low rent restaurant and you know I'm better than this now he, we're getting all like elitist and classist And honestly, thank God this is a situation that happened between the two white men in the situation because I have a very distinct feeling that Michael would have said some shit that would have been completely problematic and something he really would have had to apologize for because he pulled all this car, all these cards about how great, you know, I'm up here, Chris is down here, how dare he touch me, how dare security put their hands on me, blah, blah, blah. Um, as soon as Ashley figures out that Chris is the one who put hands on Michael she turns to Candace and is like oh that's interesting um, Candace how hypocritical uh, is it of uh, Chris to put his hands on my husband when you're how does it how hypocritical is it that your man just started a fight but you want to talk about how Monique has no self control but what do you have? And you want to, Chris, you want to cry when your wife gets her, ha- her hands put on her for acting like a fool. And yet you just put your hands on my husband. Michael's getting all riled up in the back. And he's yelling about how he's going to, I'm going to file a suit. I'm going to call my lawyer right now. You're going to jail. You're going to jail. You bald-headed fuck. Where is your hair, sir? <laughs> Did it fly south for the winter? Who are you calling a bald-headed fuck? <laughs> you got some nerve. He's trying to call Celino and Barnes. He's going to press charges. I'm pressing charges. I'm pressing charges. I'm pressing charges on on Chris. White on white crime. Juan has to grab Michael to get him to stop. Ashley's screaming in his ear to cut it out. Meanwhile, <laughs> Karen Karen in during the course of this whole debacle has gotten her and Ray's coats She's gathering Ray up. She's like, we're leaving. I'm not trying to be in the situation where he's like, okay. Okay. <laughs> Ray can't wait to leave. It's past his bedtime. So then Chris has to leave because Michael's yelling at security about how it was all his fault. He touched me. I'm pressing charges. I'm calling my lawyer, blah, blah, blah. How is dare this low budget bitch put his hands on my, you know, uh, land's end button-down shirt. How dare he? And... Chris is leaving Candace is following after him trying to figure out what happens Michael's talking about how he's a businessman Chris is a low life. Chris says something that I thought was so fucking true something that Michael has not yet been called out on for somebody who's had about 75 things called out about him he says Michael would never dare talk shit about a woman excuse me, about he would never dare threaten a man. He always goes after the women. He would never say those things to a man. And Michael, you can disrespect your wife, your own wife, all you want, but you're not going to disrespect mine. You're not going to do this to mine. Honestly, that was sexy to me. That was very sexy. He basically called Michael a misogynist. (laughs) He read... Ashley and Michael's relationship for filth by saying you can do what you want and disrespect your own wife and then we got the defense you're not going to do it to my wife you're not going to disrespect her Chris Bassett is a good man (laughs) question mark I think he might be and I'm definitely positive that I'm feeling a lot more attracted to him with every season I think Chris Despite being a largely absent father in his previous, his two children's lives, I'm still finding myself sexually attracted to him for how he treats Candace. I don't feel, and I could be wrong and I'm willing to be wrong about this, but I feel like uh, Chris is fair with Candace. I think there have been times where he gives her a lot more credit than she deserves and he defends her. In a way that I would like to see a husband defend his wife, I'm not gonna, gonna let you sit here and, and call my wife whatever it is you called her. That was hot to me. Mm. I like that. So, <laughs> Karen walks down to where um, Chris and, and Candace are. Candace and Karen are on the out. So Karen's trying to say like, you know, I just don't want to be in these situations. We're now in a, in a, you know, a thing to which we're popping off in these public places. I don't want to be in these situations. I'm leaving. I don't want to do this. Candace is like, not really giving Karen much. She's like, I'm not trying to bond with you right now. She says in a a talking head, she feels like Karen is now shady and disloyal towards her. So she's not trying to have this like moment between them. It's too much you and me right now. Y'all the way I screamed when we got that end of the season card about Candace, she's saying that they're house hunting. They're trying to plan on, you know, starting the baby process of having a child in the fall and the reason why she wants to start in the fall is because she doesn't want to risk. She Candace doesn't want an, an Aquarius baby because they're crazy. And then we get them pop up in parentheses Candace's mother is an Aquarius. <laughs> oh my god. Production is having so much fun with the ladies of Potomac, especially this season. And I am living for it that piece that little last piece of information was so (laughs) vital so telling (laughs) so iconic I died so we end the series with two things the rest of the cast is dancing at this party they're celebrating Robin's getting low Uh, Giselle is attempting to twerk can't do it but she's trying They're all having a good time. Wendy's dancing, whatever. And then we get Ashley and Michael trying to leave the party. So it seems like they have set up some kind of like video village to be able to properly have the production side of things. All those people can be behind this curtain and do their jobs, make sure they're filming and everything. So, Michael goes towards that area, and he starts by asking Ashley, you know basically like, no, I think he may have asked production, you know, why would we be on the show with these low life? Why would we land on a show that guys like Chris would do what he just did? A producer." Tries to stop Michael and tell him, you can't be in this particular area, like, we're all set up back here. So this starts another fight between Michael and production. Bitch. (laughs) Ashley tries to tell Michael what's what and say, you can't talk to production like that. They're just doing their jobs. This is not, you can't try to, you know, don't. Please don't. So, they start another fight. Michael's having, people are trying to block Michael. They, somehow, this kerfuffle goes into a hallway and back into a room so we can't see. All we can hear is like, you know, the sounds of a scuffle. The sounds of Ashley screaming, stop, 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 stop. Like, don't do this. You're embarrassing the fuck out of me. Like, stop this. Michael's all offended that the security guards are putting their hands on him and touching him. Again, how fucking convenient is that? Then we see the card for Ashley and Michael in her end of the season thing. It says, oh, um, Ashley and Michael the next day went to the Bahamas. They had a great time and now they're expecting their second child. <laughs> deranged. This is absolutely deranged. Unwell. Unwell. <laughs> How does a couple bounce back like that? Ashley must have a room in which she just breaks shit and screams. And something that she goes into every day. Just work it out. Uh, I can't. I can't. So we end on a Monique versus Candace. She said, she said situation. We start off with Monique. Production asks her in an interview what's going on with the case against Candace and vice versa. What Monique says is that they're at a point where the court has decided that both complaints were dropped should be dropped because it was deemed that both parties were fighting. And Monique then says, You're not gonna send me to jail because you're embarrassed your ass got dragged when you asked it to get dragged. And then <laughs> We get this Monique bending back into this like witch laugh that they make so much worse by by putting the echo effect on her (laughs) and this freeze frame of her like open mouth laughing. So funny, you guys. So fucking funny. You know, we find out about uh, Monique's song called Drag Queens in which she talks about the situation, the fight that she got into with Candace. Like, oh boy. Oh boy. Um, So then they ask Candace what happened with the lawsuits. And Candace says, there were so many lies being spewed from every direction at the hands of Monique, her trash lawyer, and their team. So it turned off the court system and they felt like they didn't need to pursue it because it all looked like reality TV fodder. Okay. (laughs) Listen, there's a lot to be said about the justice system. A lot of um, failures that happen. Is it fair to say that basically, like, I would have gotten a lawsuit if it wasn't for that meddling Monique and her lawyer and her team spreading all these lies and making it seem... Like this wasn't a suit versus pursuing because from Monique's estimation, it sounded like they saw the tape, they saw that Candace provoked or whatever word y'all want to put on it, was an equal participant in getting her hands put on her. And so they're like, well, you have equal responsibility in this and so we're dropping it. Or with all these shenanigans happening between Monique and her lawyer to the point where they just didn't want to take it seriously. I'm inclined to believe Monique's story and her retelling of the situation. I think that was a story that had largely gone out in media. Um, Nice try. (laughs) Nice try though, Candace. It was a nice, nice try. We end the series, the season on um, Candace saying, you know what it, it hurts to be betrayed by somebody I thought I trusted, meaning Monique, and I may as well have been Kikiing with the devil because this is not healthy. And the last thing we see is her, you know, putting that corner up against her cornea. That little corner tissue. Whew. That was it, you guys. So sad to say goodbye to an incredible and incredible franchise i am more than excited about these reunions Ooh, i'm excited y'all thank you so much for listening thank me for speaking i love you have a great week i'll be back with our recap of the first episode of 90 day fiance on wednesday